Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hey there, thanks a lot for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Amanda Kinden. She is the owner of O Donuts. They have just opened up their second location. We'll talk to her about that process, expanding her business. Lloyd Axworthy from the World Refugee Council joins us on the podcast and also Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now the podcast. I want to get Amanda Kinden on from Oh Donuts. Hi, Amanda. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on for a couple minutes here. I appreciate it. Congratulations on your second location. Thank you so much. Where is it? Tell everybody. It is 1194 Taylor Avenue. So it's between Waverly and Pemina, which are nightmares right now. But (laughs) soon it won't be. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a hot area. That's a good place to put your second location. What went and, and the reason I wanted to have you on today is obviously to congratulate you. Good for you. You're doing something right. Uh, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Osborne Village. This Pete's place has been around for a long time, but not very long in Osborne Village shuts down. And so I want to talk to you. You've obviously got a successful business. What went into you deciding where to put that second location? Oh, I didn't even hear Peace Place shut down. That place should be torn down and restarted for sure. I think there's a lot of, uh, people definitely have a sense about a location, right? So our first location downtown, we knew we needed foot traffic for the office crowd to get donuts. Parking was not a concern. I knew that there would be a lot, enough population down there during the day to help us out. Yeah. And, but, and you know, you have to, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. You have to listen to what people are telling you. So, of course, we heard that people found people from the suburbs who don't travel downtown often found parking difficult. So our space is so tiny downtown, we couldn't expand. Um, So I thought the south of the city is definitely booming. There's a lot of activity happening. Ikea, the outlet mall, etc. And... uh, these guys from Shindico, you know, they just kept bugging me about this building <laughs> they were building. And, uh, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yes, actually, because I shop in the in the area there at the yeah. Sobeys, yeah. et cetera. And it's, there's a lot of different kinds of businesses that operate at different times of day that would be great to help us. Yeah, and that's exactly why I wanted to have you on, because you made a couple of great points there. Again, trying to make the correlation with Osborne Village. And we don't know why Pete's Place, well, we do know. It, we, there are a few reasons why Pete's Place didn't work there. But you saw this as an opportunity. You have a downtown location where parking can be difficult. And you said, if we're going to open up a second location, maybe we want to be somewhere where parking is not a problem. That was part of the process of deciding where you wanted to go. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the and the size. So I, I knew that we needed at least double the kitchen, but for sure the parking. So it's allowing us to reach a whole different type of, of customer that would ju- just refuses to go downtown. Yes. Um, so, so that expands us as well. And also, you know, we do have still this small town mentality that we're, we're too small to support even two do- different donut shops, let alone two of the same donut shop and then a third donut shop, but we are, we're, we're becoming quite a large city. So if you play your cards right, for sure, there's 
ample opportunity here. Yeah. And uh, and I think sometimes, and I'm going to make this point later on when uh, Greg Mackling joins me from the start, because he owns commercial buildings as I do. And when you're starting a business or expanding a business, as you guys have just done, you have to make sure you got money in the bank. You can't go in with nothing in case things don't go well for six or seven months. True. Yeah. I think uh, I think the location downtown was, it's sort of like how I started with renting a shared kitchen. I didn't put a huge investment into a space in a kitchen. And then I, I upgraded to a small space downtown. And now I'm in a larger space in the suburbs, which is for sure way more expensive. But it's it's the growth of the business. So you take on a little debt, you take a little risk, but for sure you've got to know that you have some money to do that with. Yeah, you did it right. You started out right and you're expanding right, Amanda. Appreciate your time today. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Thanks. Take care. All right. That's Amanda Kinden. They just opened up their second location of, oh, oh, oh donuts. <laughs> and joining us on the phone... Lloyd Axworthy. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? How are things? Excellent. Back here in Winnipeg. Tell everybody where you're at. I'm in uh, Marrakesh, Morocco, and uh, I think there's about a 30-degree difference in temperature last I checked. But uh, I'm longing to be a bit home. I've been away for almost a week now, and it's, uh, you know, you begin to get a little uh, rubber off the tire spend all this time just out of a suitcase. Well, it sounds like you're calling from Transcona. we got a great phone line, so let's get on with the conversation here. Can you tell us why you're there? Yeah, uh, as you know, there's been uh, a major meeting in Marrakesh to deal with uh, a UN agreement on refugees, and uh, I'm part of a group that's been meeting on on the issue, particularly uh, looking at specific concrete uh, initiatives that could be taken to try to reform the system. Um, and so it's been a combination of uh, meetings. And then tomorrow I'm speaking to a group called the Atlantic Dialogue, which is made up of uh, countries really r- around the Atlantic Basin to see how we can revive a little more international cooperation. Uh, you know, Mr. Trump has, keeps throwing wrenches into these things. So but there's a pretty good spirit of trying to recover from that and and uh, set some new pathways. Well, you're making headlines back here at home because you believe Winnipeg and Manitoba could be a hub for refugees from South America. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I mean, let's start. You know, going back, I think with the uh, I, I recall uh, how several years ago that Art Morrow wrote an interesting paper that in connection with the museum to say that Winnipeg should be a human rights city. That should be one of our defining characteristics as a, as a community. And I know that the mayor, you know, in his uh, last election campaign, made a, a point of saying that we've, Winnipeg should be looking at how we can make that idea of uh, Winnipeg as a human rights city uh, a concrete reality. So what happened was uh, I was... Uh, about uh, 10 days ago, uh, at the border of Mexico and the United States, I've been asked to give some talks at the uh, university in San Diego, and they asked if I would be prepared to go into the camps because they, they knew I'd chair the, uh, the World Refugee Council, so I did. And i got to tell you, it was a really 
both a, a moving but also a dismaying experience because uh, these people had just finished walking a thousand miles for what they thought might be a chance for escape from the kind of violence in their own uh, home area, and then found out that the um, that the gates were shut and that uh, the tear gas was being used, and it was particularly poignant. Uh, with the women involved, because the Americans have eliminated uh, the criteria of gang violence or domestic violence as a as a grounds for applying for refugee status, and so you know it was very it really really uh, sad. I mean, just saw these women who had made a huge effort with their kids to to find some way for some safety and security, only to find that uh, the options were closed. So. Uh, you know, I've been talking to some people, and we came back, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm hoping maybe we can get uh, uh, some cooperation and some support uh, to see if we can help some of these women and their kids to uh, to find some sanctuary in our, in our own hometown. So your message then is, if Trump doesn't want them, maybe we should take them here in Winnipeg. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, uh, look, we're a big country where— Boy, when you see what's happening in other places, we're we're a blessed country. Yeah, uh, there's lots of room, there's lots of space, and I think a lot of people in Winnipeg have shown incredible uh, warmth of reception to the Syrian refugees in those cities. And uh, what's interesting about this is this is in North America. I mean, we're not talking about you know a place that's several thousand miles away. We're talking about our our own continent, and uh, it, it does seem to me. Uh, it might be the kind of thing that uh, could put out a welcoming mat. So I'm trying to have some conversations with people at the, uh, at the city, at the federal government level, and see if we can work something out. So what do you say to people, and there are lots of them, I, I hear from them when I do my show and this issue comes up, what do you say to people that say, oh, we got to slow down the refugee influx, we got people crossing the border in the middle of the night, not at a proper entry point. We got to slow it down. Um, I understand some of the concerns uh, when people are coming in that way, as opposed to uh, doing it by the book. But we all here came from somewhere, didn't we? Well, that's right. And look, I understand those concerns. You know, but it's partly a problem of our own making because uh, way back and just after nine eleven, uh, the Canadian government at the time sign an agreement, what they call a third-party agreement, which means that the only access for people, say, coming from Central America uh, is, through, is through a United States immigration procedure. And we know that since uh, Mr. Trump has taken over the administration, there is no procedure. He's just started shutting the gates and building the walls. And uh, so uh, I think that we still... Uh, as a, one of the few countries left in the world that has a, a very uh, well-managed, uh, well-regulated refugee system. People are vetted. Nobody comes in if they don't uh, meet the criteria. But, you know, it's not like we're, uh, we don't have lots of space and lots of room. You know, one, one thing I, I think people in, in Manitoba I should recognize is that uh, one of the real uh, major uh, contributions to economic growth in the province over the last 10 years is through uh, was through immigration, uh, bringing people in. Uh, 
sometimes up to 15,000 a year. And that's, that's given us a real spurt and a real diversity and a lot of investment. So, you know, I, I, I agree with the concern that this has to be well managed. So we're not talking about illegal people. We're talking about people who come through the regular procedures. Mr. Axworthy, you're halfway around the world. I really appreciate a few minutes with you. You're very generous for giving me your time today. Thank you. As always, a pleasure. Call again whenever you have a chance. Thank you, Lloyd. Okay, right. Bye-bye. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. Hello. Happy Thursday. Hey, happy Thursday to you. So um, let's start with this. Earlier on, I had uh, Lauren McNabb on from the start. And uh, this morning, they had a tech expert on their show. And he was talking about this little device called Kitty Buzz, K-I-D-I-B-U-Z-Z. Apparently, it's one of the hot tech toys for kids this Christmas. And it's very much like it looks like a phone. You can go on the Internet with it. But again, the parent controls, you know, exactly what it does. It's sort of, I'll liken it to kind of, you know, the old school leapfrog books, you know, that kids could learn on. But anyhow... Because it kind of looks like a phone and it's technology, she is struggling with her kids. And they're young. They're six and eight. Mm -hmm. She's struggling with when is the right time to let my kids have an item like this, uh, you know, a a technology toy. Right. And I think a lot of parents battle with this, right? When it comes to cell phone, what's the right age? And I think probably I'll just weigh in with my thought on this. It depends on the kid. Yep. But... Is there any kind of rule of thumb that you would suggest, or I'm sure you deal with this? Well, yeah, and I think that the challenge here is to recognize the technology. We recognize that handing too much technology to children too early and having them spend too much time on it means that they're not outside enjoying sunshine, throwing snowballs and making snowmen and doing all the things that kids did a generation ago that we know was good for them, right? They're not playing board games with each other and building social skills when you're spending one-on-one time with a device. And so we're all leery of that. And I think part of the reason why we're leery about that with kids is because we recognize our own behaviors and how they're really not very adaptive to our well-being, right? And we want to have our kids do better. And so that I think the challenge is is that no matter what age we introduce those tools to our children, we're going to ha- they're going to be allowed to have them and they're going to have they are part of our culture now, right? And so it's absolutely something we've all got to figure out how to use and we've got to figure out how to use them well. So I think it's less important uh, but do you, do I get my child one of these or not as having discussions with a child of how do we make wise use of this? How much time is too much time? And when it starts to become too much, how do you limit that? And how can I help you limit it without you getting angry at me? Uh, because those are questions that parents and kids are having all over the city. And I think if you have them ahead of time and even write them down and agree on them together, then when the time comes to say you've already used up all your time or you're starting to use that time instead of spending time playing with your friends, we got to figure out how to limit that. It's easier to have those conversations. And, I mean, Loren was even saying, you know, I worry, am I robbing my kids of an opportunity to get some tech ability? Because let's face it, when they get further in school or in life, it becomes a big part of schooling and life, right? iPads and other 
items of uh, of technology, and so she doesn't want to say no when maybe it is a good introduction to what they're going to be learning and, and using as they go along. Well, part of it is the technical introduction, and then the other part of it is the social introduction. How do you learn how to use these devices wisely? When do you learn to put them down? How do you let them not get in the way of real face-to-face human relationships? And those are things that we're all having to figure out. And if you just postpone and don't give the kid any technology at all, then at some point when they do have them, they don't have the skills, not only the technological technology skills, but sort of the soft skills of having good judgment around their use. And do you, you know, other kids, well, mom, Bill's got it. Why can't I have it? <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, I guess that argument doesn't really work. You got to figure out what's right for your kid. Oh, and that argument has been around since the dawn of time. <laughs> it's yeah. not going anywhere. Right. Uh, and that is a really good discussion to have, whether it's about the latest genes or the latest technology device, um, because we all want what the other person has, and it's a fact of life that that's not always the best thing, and life isn't always fair. And yeah. to have those conversations is not a waste of time, even though they're always hard in the moment. Yeah. We are now less than uh, switching gears moving along. We are now less than two weeks away from Christmas, which is a wonderful time of the year, I think, for most people. Not everybody. It can be a very difficult time for a lot of people. Maybe they've lost a loved one, especially, you know, I'll tell you, my dad, uh, I remember Christmas Eve being a sad time at my house because my dad's dad died in a car accident on Christmas Eve. And so every year I remember my dad, who is a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, every year saying, well, it's been however many years since my dad passed away. And I always felt bad for him. And so I guess the point is Christmas is wonderful if you get to spend it with family and friends. But sometimes if one of those important members of your family or a friend is missing, it can be horribly difficult. Absolutely. And I think when you talk about um, your dad's dad, that would have been your grandpa. Yeah, my grandpa. Dying on Christmas Eve, the the anniversary is right at that time. And so Christmas Eve is a very poignant reminder. It would have been for your father. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing about Christmas is that Christmas is a time when we have traditions and when we do rituals, right? Where we decorate the tree in a certain way with certain people and we have certain kinds of meals. Um, and we know that things should happen in a certain way, and we've done those things for years in that way. And so then when somebody is missing, and it might be because a person's died, or it might be because they've moved to another city, or the yeah. neighbors have moved away, or whatever, Not right? Not getting along with them anymore. Right, or, or you yeah. know, a divorce in the family or something, right? And so Christmas is not the same. What happens is we really feel like even though life is not the same, because those rituals happen, those traditions happen once a year, we really are aware of this is not how we did it last year and this is not how we did it five years ago. And you really feel the ache of that loss so that even if the loss didn't happen at Christmas, you really feel it at Christmas. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you especially feel it at Christmas because there are songs on the radio that are saying this is the most wonderful time of the year and have a holly jolly Christmas and, and and, 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 and people are enjoying the season, right? So you have a lot of people feeling a little better than usual and you're feeling a little worse than usual and now the difference feels really big. Right. And then what happens is then you think, oh, I'm going to drag people down if I hang out with them or people aren't going to want to hang out with me because I'm like a wet blanket on the celebration. And so then people pull away and they withdraw because they don't want to ruin other people's fun or they're not feeling up to the holiday party. 
And when you pull away, that's when you really get lonely and that's when your mood really sort of plummets because mm-hmm. we're wired for connection. We need each other all the time, including yeah. at Christmas, even if we're lonely and sad. And when you pull away, it's just your suffering just increases. So if that's you and you're listening to the radio right now, any advice, any ways to try and make Christmas a happier time of the year if it's not normally a happy time for you? Well, and I don't I don't know about making happier, but I think it's about making it less worse. And one of the ways we make things less worse is by just allowing our feelings to be what they are. So often when we have these feelings, there's this judgment that's attached to it. I'm feeling sad, and now at Christmas I shouldn't be feeling sad, and I have no right to be feeling sad because other people have it less than worse. And then we make ourselves feel worse because of the way we're talking to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think we just hold space for our suffering and let our feelings be the feelings that they are. Feelings are information. They're not good or bad. They just are. And when we hold space for it and allow ourselves to be sad, we can let other people know what we need. We can figure out how to be kind to ourselves in a way that says, I'm still going to be with people. I'm going to invite myself to show up, but I don't have to be the center of the party. Um, I can maybe go home early or I can skip this one and just make go to the smaller one. And you just allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. I think sometimes it's helpful to remember that person, to have a candle lit throughout the Christmas season, especially in honor of the person that you're missing or buy a special Christmas ornament that is something that that person would have loved. Mm-hmm. And you hang it on the tree so that that person still gets to be a part of the celebration yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Or buy a, can of smoked, uh, buy a can of smoked oysters. I'll tell you why, because okay. <laughs> every Christmas with my dad, uh, he would always, we'd always have smoked oysters and crackers, and it was just kind of a stupid little silly Christmas tradition. And I saw a can of them the other day, and I hate them. I don't like them at all. <laughs> but I thought I should pick up a can and have some smoked oysters for my dad on Christmas just because that was a tradition, you know? That is not stupid or yeah. silly. No, I don't it's think it is beautiful. either. Yeah. 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 And it, that's exactly the sort of thing that I'm thinking about, that there's right. still a way to kind of remember and and make draw some beauty out of something that's previously mm-hmm. been very painful. Yeah. Um, what if you are somebody... Uh, and you have that person in your life, that person who's having a hard time at Christmas mm-hmm. or missing somebody at Christmas. Do you reach out to them and try and bring them in and, and make them a part of Christmas? Or do you let them have space? Or how do you handle that? I was having a conversation just today with somebody who said, so when somebody, when I'm I'm not in a good space right now, and when somebody tries to cheer me up, yeah. I just want to smack them, mm-hmm. right? When you try too hard to jolly somebody up who's not doing well, it's really annoying because the person feels like, are you telling me that my feelings are wrong or you're judging me for not being happy enough? Are you trying to talk me out of my feelings? And that actually doesn't feel good. Often what we're trying to do is make them feel better because if they feel better, then we will feel better Mm -hmm. because it hurts us to watch people that we care about suffer. Yeah. So I don't think jollying them up is is helpful, but I do think it's beautiful to invite people to come as they are and to say, you don't have to put on a happy face, but if you would just show up, I think it's great. I think something that's really brave and not easy for people in our culture to do is to say, I, I'm wondering if you're sad because I know that your mom died or because yeah. something happened to your sister and you, you, use, you, you name the name. And um, what's it like not having them? And I don't know what to say, but I want you to know that I haven't forgotten. That if you, you actually enter the brave space and name it, um, and often people are, well, what happens if that person cries? I will have made them cry. And I used to teach at the university, and I would tell my students, if you have a conversation with somebody and they start to cry, it's not like you made them cry. Yeah. What you did was provide a safe enough space for the tears that were already there to emerge. And that's something that's beautiful. 
that you have created a safe enough space that the person feels comfortable letting those mm-hmm. feelings bubble up to the surface. And when you have a chance to feel your feelings with people who are willing to let you feel your feelings, it makes the moment feel deeply connecting and it makes that time feel a little less worse. Yeah, that's a cool way to look at that. Mm. Yeah, very cool. Um, my old, and I'll end on this one and then we'll take a break and come back because we've got more to talk about. My old rock radio partner, BJ Burke, who was here from Halifax, mm-hmm. every year he would have a come from away party. Okay. Right? Because in radio, typically a lot of us come yes. from away. Yes. And every year he would have a come from away party and we all went over to his place. And we all came from away (laughs) and we were here and didn't have family or didn't have a lot of friends or new in town or whatever. And it was always such a great time because we were all kind of in the same boat. You know, we were all like, yeah, we can't be with our families this Christmas. And here we are at BJ's place for his come from away party. And BJ knew what the rest of us intuitively know, but sometimes have trouble acting on is that we are not the only one. And that if you can reach out, you will find other people who feel the same as you. Mm -hmm. And you have a chance to do something for somebody else in a way that will make both of your lives better. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.